I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke, it's about two-thirds of the way through the third Gospel account. And it'll be Luke chapter 1 is where we will be. Luke 1. I have a question. Are you tired? Actually, let me turn that into a statement. You are tired. <laughs> you are tired. And it may not be in this very moment that you are feeling tired, but some of us are extra tired uh, because of this strange year that we have battled through. The same storm with different vessels and hammered in different ways, but we're tired of this. Still the same storm of sorts. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt that you are tired because you went to bed last night. And you went to bed the night before, and the night before, and the night before that. That's how I know you're tired. You are always tired. You go to bed every day. No matter how much strength or vitality you have, how much energy you think you have, you get tired. At some point, we all need our rests because we're tired, we're weak, and we're frail. Every one of us. Think about a baby for a moment. You know, it's funny. For those who have children, you might remember the, the early stages as, oh, the time you didn't get much sleep. And uh, often people will joke with new parents about not getting much sleep, right? But the reality is it's not because a baby doesn't sleep a lot. They do. They sleep on average 17 hours a day, a newborn does. They just don't sleep at all at once. But 17 hours a day. This thing is tired. It's hard work being outside, you know? And so it's crazy how much they sleep. 17 hours a day. That's how tired a baby is. That's how weak and frail a baby is. That's how dependent a baby is. So that is shocking when we go to read a passage like this. To think of how tired and weak a baby is. And then we come to words like this in Luke chapter 1. I'll read from the uh, verse 26 to give us a little bit of context. And then this announcement about this baby. So in the sixth month, the angel, this is verse 26, sorry, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying. And try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Listen to these words. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Did you hear those words in verse 32 of this baby? He will be great. Think of that. A baby who needs at least 17 hours of sleep a day. A baby dependent on his mother for everything will be great. This is a shocking announcement of this child that was to be born. The, the amazing thing about him being great is he's speaking of Jesus, right? He will be great. It's emphatic. 
It's not a question like, oh, well, every parent thinks their kid's great. It's not like, oh, well, your son's going to be the best. It's like, I know, he's my son. No, no, he will be great because he is great. He is great. That's why this angel can say to Mary without a shadow of a doubt, he will be great because he already is. He is great. But the important question to ask is, how do we define greatness? What is great? Right? When, when we describe something or someone as great, what do we really mean? It, it means they stand out. They stand above. It's unbelievable to think, you know, in the Bible, in the New Testament, for example, there's only two people called great. One is Jesus, rightfully so, and the other is a statue called Artemis. Great is Artemis, the Ephesians would always say. Great is Artemis. And they screamed it for two hours when the Apostle Paul showed up. They were so angry because Paul said, that thing's not great. It's just a statue. I can push it over. And they screamed and cried out loud about great is Artemis, this hunk of rock. That was the only other person, like named thing, other than a stuff that was called great. Jesus is great. He stands out. He is defined as distinct, different, and above all other things. He is great in power, great in honor, great in purpose. This baby, Jesus, was indeed great. But in what way? In what way was he great? Was he great by worldly standards, by the standards that you and I see here? Mary, Mary's hearing this angel say, this is your son, verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. His greatness is all-fulfilling. But was it by worldly standards? Here, if you think about this birth announcement, you think, okay, so he's got this throne of his father David. That is obviously not his father, father, his great, 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 great lineage. David was given a promise as a king that you would have a king in your family who would reign on my throne forever. And so you think about, okay, earthly greatness. Well, a king seems like a pretty great position. He will have a throne. He will be great in that way. And it says he will reign over this house forever. And he's got a kingdom that's going to not end. That sounds pretty great even by worldly standards. Is he great by worldly standards? Crazy. I'm going to paraphrase Charles Spurgeon, who did an excellent job of capturing what I want us to consider out of this passage this morning. Speaking of the greatness of Jesus here on earth. He said this. I'll paraphrase him. The man Jesus stooped very low. In his first estate, when he first came, he was not great. He was very little. And he hung upon his mom, so dependent. As a grown man, again, he was not great. He was despised, rejected, and crucified. Indeed, he was so poor that he was homeless. He had no place to lay his head. He was cast out by all common men saying, oh, there's just some guy over there. They mentioned him as a drunk and as a lunatic. They accused him of having a devil in him, of being crazy. In the esteem of the great ones of earth, he was an ignorant Galilean of whom they said, we know where he comes from. He's not great. His life fits more with the lowly poor than the royal family. 
in his own time, his enemies could not find a word low enough to describe him or to express their contempt towards him. He was brought very low in his trial, in his condemnation, in his suffering. Who would have thought him great when he was covered with bloody sweat? Who would have thought him great when he was sold for the price of a slave? Or when the guard came out against him with swords and lanterns and torches as if he'd been a thief? Who would have thought him great when they bound him and led him to the judgment seat as a criminal? Or when the lowest of the impoverished hurled insults at him from the side? Or when they blindfolded him and spat on him? Who would have called him great? And there he was led through the streets carrying a cross like a criminal. Afterward hung on it between two other thieves, two other criminals. Truly he was brought very low. A sword pierced through his mother's heart as she saw the sufferings of her holy son. When she knew that he was dead and buried in a borrowed tomb, she must have painfully pondered in her heart the words of heaven concerning him and thought to herself, well, the angel said he should be great. And now he's made so vile. He should be called the son of the highest. And here he is brought to the dust of death. And men seal his tomb. And they cast him out as an evil person. I thought he was supposed to be great. Isn't that crazy? You think about that. From all worldly vision, from all earthly standards, was he great? No. He was despised and rejected as a criminal, a lunatic. He did not appear to be great in any sense, but we know who he is. And that is what gives him his greatness. Psalm 96 verse 4 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. I love in Jeremiah 10, 6, it says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. He is great. Not because we can see him as some strong man who had a great position of authority and power in this world and a throne and a, and a kingdom and an army of great strength. Not because he was great in his looks or his, his abilities as a man. He was great because of who he was. He was great because he is God. He's God. And that's where it goes into the next part of this announcement to Mary. Verse 32 says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. What's amazing is this child who's come has this unexpected power. Not in this child, he's still a baby, still dependent, still walked around and fell down like every other toddler. How is he great? Where was his power? Well, it begins by going into that he is called the son of the most high. And we always beget what we are. You are a human who is broken and you produce humans who are broken. God is perfect and great. And he produces greatness. So this next part of this announcement that he is the son of the most high is helping to give an underlying understanding of where is his greatness? Because if we're to take just the announcement that he's great and we watch, we're going, that angel lied and that woman's crazy. She thinks her son's great. Look at this kid. He's not handsome. He's just a carpenter. He can't do anything great. 
right? People despised him. They said, we know where he comes from. He's just a lowly hobo from that town. But where was his greatness from? Well, he was the son of the Most High, which shows us, and and it really opens a window into the vastness of the greatness of this Jesus. And yet, that verse I read earlier in the service in Philippians chapter 2 about his humbling himself. He did not count his equality with God. The fact that he is the God who has existed forever in the past, who created the heavens and the earth by the word of his power. This great God humbled himself, taking on the form of a baby. But yet, does that strip him of his true greatness? Well, no. Because he still is indeed the son of the Most High. He will be great and be called the son of the Most High. The son of God. And the son of man. He is a strange and unique individual. This incarnation in Mary we can never describe or fully grasp or understand. It was a miracle of all miracles. But yet it is so. And we see proved again and again in his life. I love when Jesus proves himself to be one with God and one with the Father, that he is God. So many times. I, one, the greatest example I love is when this man who's paralyzed, right, and his friends lower him through the roof because there was no room. They couldn't even get through the crowds. They couldn't get to Jesus. And so they lowered the, the paralytic through. And Jesus looks at the man. And instead of saying, hey, man, you need to get up and walk, and he could do that. But instead, he looked at him first and he said, your sins are forgiven. Like, you have offended God Almighty, and you're going to go to hell because of it, but I'm here to tell you, your sins are forgiven. And there was all these religious people who knew the Bible inside and out over here, and they said, you can't do that, he's not God. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, being over here, forgiving this guy's sin, he knew exactly what they were thinking in their hearts. So he said, well, what's easier? For me to say that your sins are forgiven? For me to tell this guy who's never walked to get up and walk? So he said, get up, take your bed and go home. So he got up and he walked away. Just to show, it is amazing because even those religious leaders were like, hey, he's trying to say that he's God right now. He said, yes, I am. I'm great. It's it's so amazing. Every time you see an account where even uh, the enemies of Jesus are are pointing to him and saying, wait a second. He's he's trying to be, claim that that he's God right now. This is not so. Let's kill him. And so that's why they killed him, ultimately, because of his greatness. He's the son of the Most High. But his greatness also comes from what is next in this verse, in verse 32. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. This is a promise, if you want to read it later, from 2 Samuel 7, uh, where he's promised a throne and a kingdom forever. David uh, this, this man uh, of God's own choosing is given this promise that in your family lineage, there will come a time where there will be a king who's not going to be kicked out, who's not going to be uh, unruly, who's not going to leave me or forsake me. There's going to be a king, and his kingdom's going to be forever. So what a disappointment when great-grandsons of David's are off the tracks. He says, well, what, what's with this promise? The promise was one that was far-reached, and here it comes fulfilled in the Son of the Most High, Jesus. He will have this throne of greatness. I love what First Chronicles 29 says about this. 
It says this in, in verses 11 to 13. If you want to jot that down and read it later, it is solid gold. First Chronicles 29, 11 to 13. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Anything that is great is because it is from God, from the Great One. In his throne, it says, yours is the kingdom. You sit enthroned above all things. You are exalted as head above all. He rules and reigns. You think of a throne, you think of a king and a kingdom. Well, Jesus rules over all that he has made in all places at all time. The question is, does he rule over us? How often do we not let him? We are rejecting of his ruling and his reign in our lives. He, he wants to take charge in order to lead us to what is good and what is right and what is pure and what is lasting. And we insist on our own way and we say, no, I'll shut you up. I got this. I can decide what's right and wrong. I don't need somebody else telling me that. I don't need your word telling me that. Until one day where God opens your eyes by his grace and you see, I'm so far from the truth. I can't trust what I've done. I I can't trust my own good deeds because I have a pile of bad ones over here. What am I to do with these? How am I to get rid of these? Well, if you allow him to have the throne of your heart, he will push all that is wicked and all that is lost out, and he will take charge. And as it says here in, at the end of verse 32, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will reign over that house in that lineage but also he will reign as king supreme over his people forever. What would it be like to have a king who is great in every way? Like great enough to speak the world into existence. Great enough to sustain by his power your lungs in this moment. What would it be like to have a king who is great, greatly to be praised, but also who knows you? Who's concerned about you? Who actually cares? Who's not just up on his throne, up in heaven and saying, I don't care who you are, but you're here to, to serve me. It's not Jesus. Jesus stoops as we see this account. He has come in the form of man. Why? Why would he do that? It's so that he can reign. He, can re he would come as a baby, in not greatness, despised and rejected, so that what? He could reign. He could reign for you and over you. And the amazing thing is he came so that he could be restoring that relationship between you and God. You have banished yourself from the kingdom like Eve and Adam banished themselves from the garden by their willful sin. We have walked away from God. And, and because of the sinfulness of our heart, because of all the stuff we have on us, we can't walk back. We're not welcome. So he comes, humbles himself, he says, I'll stand in your place. I'll take all your stuff. I'll take all of that sin, all the offense that, that you have between you and God, and I'll take it, and I'll take it to the cross where he was despised and rejected so that on the other side of it he could reign supreme 
over death. Your death, my death. And here it carries on in verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. It's not going to end when he died at the age of 33 because he was raised three days later and he rules. He's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you, praying for you, concerned about you and your needs, your holiness, your relationship with God. He's concerned for you and not just for a time while he was here. That king was good for the time. I'm so glad we had him. Wish we had another one like him. His kingdom there will be no end. That is also part of his greatness. His greatness is who he is. He's the son of the Most High. His greatness is that he has a, a throne, that he rules over all, that he reigns over all, but also that it is forever. And I'm so glad for that because knowing that this king is, is, has all the power and is able to do all things well, that this is the king who loves me and actually is concerned for me and cares for me. So that if I can confess to him that I need him, if I, if I come and I have an understanding that I have really offended God and I can't find my way to him and I can't do this, he says, come unto me. You're weary, you're tired, you're weak, you're broken, you're frail. Do you know it? Come to the one who is great. When you realize your weakness, what do you do? You sleep. You sleep. If you're too weak to lift something, you find help. Well, so what do you do when you realize your weakness is unending? Your weakness is not just that you need to sleep every day physically, you're tired. But you would be exhausted emotionally and spiritually if you tried to make things right with you and God. All on your own. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going I'm to pray and I think he's going to accept that. You would be exhausted because it's never going to end. And you'd still not get there because you have a giant backpack that says, I'm a sinner. So in our weakness, what do we do? We look for where the strength is. Where is the greatness? Well, there's Christ on his throne. who says, come, you're, you're heavy laden. You have a burden on your back. You have this sin upon you. There's no way you can get it off. Come to me and I'll take it. I'll take it all. And I will stand before the throne and I'll stand before the judge and I'll say, I was guilty, not them. It's not fair. But it's what he came to do. That's why he humbled himself. That's why even in his greatness, he took on the form of a baby, was homeless, despised, rejected, died as a criminal in your place and rose again victorious so that you also can stand before God victorious and say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I deserve to be banished. I deserve to be set out of your kingdom forever. I deserve hell. But by grace, by grace, something I don't deserve, Jesus came to me, showed me my weakness, but then showed me his strength, his greatness, and his glory. And I, I don't know how, but I just latched on to him. In faith, I just took a leap of faith. I literally just stopped, trusted myself, and I trusted in him. I came to his greatness. So my weakness while it persists, it will not be forever. And my strength is only found in another. The crazy thing is we are so proud. We are so proud. J.I. Packer says, our, our proud hearts shrink from weakness, whether it's real or fancied weakness. In all forms, we always embrace what looks like strength. But weakness is the way. 
Weakness is the way. Look at Jesus. Weakness is the way. The only way for you to ever admit you need him is to be weak and frail and broken. Weakness is the way. John Piper, in speaking about sleep, says, Sleep is a daily reminder that we are not God. Psalm 121.4 says, He keeps Israel, neither sleeps nor slumbers. But you will, I will, and his people will. We are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think that we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. That's humiliating. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. God handles the world quite nicely while this hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is a line, is a line of, like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Men is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign, meaning we're not in control. Don't let this lesson be lost on you. God wants you to, to be trusted. He wants to be trusted as the great worker who never tires and never sleeps. He is not merely impressed by your late nights or your early mornings. He's more impressed with your peaceful trust and all your anxieties cast upon him and sleeping. You... You realize the humiliating factor that sleep is? You're like a baby. You are not strong in the middle of the night when you are sleeping, drooling, whatever. You are humiliated. That's on purpose. It's a daily reminder that you are weak and you are not God. You're not in control. So what is that reminder to do? Remember you're tired. Remember you're powerless. Remember you're weak. Remember you're far off. Remember you are mortal. But God. But God is not. And God being rich in mercy has given you something forward to look to. That this weakness and this exhaustion will come to an end. Even as we waste away in our frailty, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What is to come is where we are to look. you got to go to sleep tonight because you're weak. But one day, you'll get to be in the presence of almighty strength. And any strength you do have in this day or tomorrow is not your own. It's given to you. That could be gone in a moment. And you, you know that if you've ever suffered a significant disease or illness of any sort. In a moment, he can cripple all your power. He can cripple everything you ever know. Everything that was security to you and comfort to you can be gone in a moment. Why? And where is your strength there? Where is your power and security then? It's gone. 
But what are you to do with those sorts of moments? What are we to do with a moment like this in, in our history where we're all kind of hands tied? We, we look to the one who is great and greatly to be praised. This one who was given this announcement to Mary, he will be great. He's the son of the most high. He's on a throne and he reigns forever and his kingdom will never come to an end. Do you know him? Hey, have you united yourself to him in a relationship so that you might know even a glimmer of hope of strength? A glimmer of hope of security, of comfort, of joy. You know, we have the buzzwords at Christmas, peace, joy, hope. They're useless without Christ. There's no hope if you're just hoping in the world, or you're hoping in stuff, or you're hoping in yourself. They are just buzzwords. There is no peace if there is no Christ. We are only at peace with God. We are only made right and no longer at a war with God. Only when we come to Christ. There is no hope. And there is no peace. And there is no joy without Christ. He will be great. It's unexpected power. Unexpected power out of this thing. This baby that was held by Mary. Unexpected power that in his greatness, even in his what appeared to be the weakest of moments, his death on a cross was the greatest display of power anyone has ever seen. It's amazing what he accomplished there. All of the wrath of God for your sin, he took upon himself. He took it upon himself. If that's not great and greatness, I don't know what is. And not just your sin, but my sin. Sin of the person next to you and the person 500 years ago and the person tomorrow. The weight of their sin and, and all of God's anger towards your sin on Christ in a moment. That's why the earth shook and the, the sky got dark. It was a greatly terrifying moment. But it was great in power. This, this is Christ, the child who was born. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear this son. You'll give his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Are you part of that never-ending kingdom? The only way you can be is through Christ and a right relationship with him. Let's pray. Oh God, we don't understand the incarnation. We don't understand how Christ, who was great before, came and was declared to be great, even though he was despised and rejected, even though he was dependent as a child, even though he died a criminal's death. He was great. So we worship and adore you. God, we want to humbly come before you and confess our need of you. But also, we just want to bask in your greatness. We want to know your greatness. We want to feel what it's like to, to be near to the God who is great and greatly to be praised. We know that only is through relationship with the Lord Jesus. So we thank you that it is so simple. If we call upon your name, you will rescue us from our sin. And you will bring us into this kingdom forever. Apart from that relationship with Christ, there is no kingdom forever for us. There will be more 
tiredness, more weakness, and more frailty. Thank you for deliverance from that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.